morning. Welcome back to Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am your host, Danger, and joining me is my uh, compatriot in composure. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. You, you said you didn't like Breakdown, bro, so I don't know. I'll get it. it worse. I'll, I'll get it right some, one day. I don't know. Anyway, Monster, say hi, Monster. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for that lovely, very coherent introduction. Yeah, Breakdown, bro. I'm sticking with that. <laughs> That's fine. That's- just, just because I get to watch your face squirm. <laughs> if what you said today is the alternative, then yes, yeah, stick with Breakdown, bro. Thank you. All right. So we are talking Dayseeker's 2019 album, Sleep Talk. Now, Monster, what's your opinion? As a wise horse on Ren and Stimpy once said, no, sir, I don't like it. Really? <laughs> really? A little surprised okay. by that, but go on. So... I understand why this band gets lumped into the same categories as a lot of other uh, nightclub core and metalcore bands, but this is just an emo band wrapped in modern pop production. This is depressing. There's no bounce. There's no groove. It's sad. Most of the songs are about drug abuse and self-harm. I just, I was not having fun with this. This is another one of those albums that I can respect the craftsmanship. I think it's mixed well, it's produced well. The the, the band are, are good enough musicians, but the songwriting is subpar for me. And there's also something else going on that when we get into the song by song, I'll, I'll elaborate on that it also made this a difficult listen for me. Yeah, I... Uh, uh-uh. I was I, I did not have fun with this. I was I'm very I was very much looking forward to hearing you explain to me why this was something you wanted to do. And and you're wearing a day seeker shirt as we speak. So I'm assuming you're a fan. I am. I would love to know what makes you a fan. OK, that's fair. So I'm going to agree with what you were saying, that this is uh, a band that gets lumped in with metalcore and whatnot. And this is. Not quite the nightclub core that we heard with Bad Omens before. Mm-hmm. This is not quite emo. I'm going to call this synth core because this is, you know, metalcore because they were a metalcore band before and they do have metalcore touches and things. They do have quite a few breakdowns and some of their biggest songs off of this album do, do not have breakdowns, which I think is an interesting, interesting move. But the synth is everywhere in this. And if you go back and you listen to Dayseeker before this album, I really wasn't a big fan. It was this album where I became a bigger fan because they started to go, okay, we're going to grow a lot real quick. And this album flows really, really well from beginning to end. Actually, I don't, I don't think the track order, the track listing is out of order at all. And I tried to find a, an album or a track that could be misplaced. Now there is a track that I do think is a bit different. And I'll talk about that when we get to it, or it should be different, but I'll talk about that when we get to it, of course. But I do think that the, the ride of the album is the way that it should be. You know, we do have the slowdown, but I think the slowdown is actually really well placed. Go on monster. You look like you wanted to say something. Well, okay. So what you are saying is the exact problem that I have. And I was going to wait till we got to the track by track, but I'll just go ahead and throw this out there. Something was messing with me while I was listening to this album. I was like, what? 
I, I, I get like a lot of these bands, the songs all kind of sound the same because they're a band of four or five guys and that's their sound. But there's usually a little bit of like diversity. There's fast songs you and slow songs. Here? Every song almost has the exact same beats per minute. Every song follows the same. Like, and I was like three or four tracks into this. I was like, why all just sound like one song? And then I realized I, I, I found a beats per minute website that'll give you the beats per minute for pretty much every song recorded. And other than a couple of exceptions, they are usually the same number or they're divisible. So like, for example, and, and like I said, we, I can, I wrote them down for every song, but um, everything is kind of between like 125 and 130, or then you get something that's like 70. Well, what's half of 140? 70. So even though it's a technically a different BPM, it's still in the same count. So I was like, all these songs sound the same. Like, it was really messing with me. Like I was trying to pick out like, okay, yeah, the vocal melody is different here. Or this one has a genty guitar riff mixed in. Like, yeah, I get that. But at the same time, when it's just one, two, three, four, one, two, for 35 minutes, I'm like, whoo, this feels longer than 35 minutes. <laughs> See, I don't feel like it felt like 35 minutes at all. I felt like it just kind of hit and moved forward. And with a little bit of down, but not enough to make it like a bad thing. I think it was just kind of a, a way that it flew really, really well or flowed really, really well. So okay. I'm not with you on every track sounds the same. Yes, I get the beats per minute deal, but I think that, you know, you do have different guitar riffs in different places. And I do feel like the drums are bouncy in certain places and guitars are bouncy in certain places and they're not in others. And, I feel like his voice added a lot to this. I think that uh, his name is Rory. I think Rory has a great voice. And the thing about this album that I actually think hurts this album is that, okay, so when this album came out, this album got played a lot in my house, got played in the car. You know, it was not just me. It was the lady. We both loved this one. We went and saw them live. We saw them with quite a few other bands and they, they were great. Now, Live, they did something I thought was kind of interesting, going to sidestep a little bit from the album itself. And they didn't have a lot of lights on stage. They had a lot of backlights. You know, they had uh, Sleep Talk and a neon sign, which I think was supposed to be bigger than it was. But I think it's just what they could afford or whatever. It was their Final thing. Somebody accidentally wrote inches instead of feet. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I feel like, though, it, it was probably a, I don't know, four foot wide song or sign. So it would have been a massive sign if it, if they did that. But no, um, if you haven't seen Spinal Tap listener, please go watch Spinal Tap. It's a great, great movie. Yeah. So it was an interesting live thing. They had a lot of fog, a lot of backlights and a lot of just like white lights on stage to light them up, which was an interesting move. And I thought was, was a lot of fun. White and purple lights, basically. Anyway, so this album is only 10 tracks long. It's not a long album. It's a 35 minute long album and every song, 36, 30, sorry. And every song is of heavy emotional content. Like you said, yes. self-harm, addiction. There's one uh, on here, um, do burial plot um, that has to do, I can't remember if it's drunk or burial plot. They have to do with uh, his father being an alcoholic and dying from it and all. So I actually don't remember 
this album. I remember the deluxe edition. And the thing mm-hmm. is, is that while, yes, I like every song on this album, every, so every track is solid to me. Every track is heavy and it moves and it's a, and they're good songs, but I need some levity. I need something that is not so damn heavy. And so I think that this album was written as a 10 track album that was intended to have a deluxe album, follow it with more tracks to make it a better album. And that's the thing. When we originally talked about what we were going to do, I really kind of went back and forth with talking about the album itself or the deluxe album, because I think the deluxe is actually a better album. I think Mm. this is a great one. And so within itself, I'm going to praise it because I love this one. I'm going to gush all over this, but I actually think the deluxe album is the album that they intended to release. I think it's a 15 track. I don't know. Let me look right quick. Um, Yeah, it's, it it is a much better album. 14 tracks. So, and they do have a few reimagined versions, versions on there. And even the, the tracks of this album that got put onto the deluxe sound better. And I prefer the reimagined versions of the tracks better than uh, I, I prefer them more to the standard tracks. So, and I agree 100% with you. And I, you know, I've, I've said it before. I'm not a sad sack. I don't like depressing music. I don't like sad songs. You are a sack, if, but you're not a sad sack, but go on. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. But they put it this way. There are bands that have similar sound to this that I enjoy that might have some downer lyrics, but they they incorporate the levity, like you said. Like even though I, I I wasn't super high on Bad Omens, there was enough there where they mixed it up that I I found a couple of tracks that I really enjoyed. When we talked about Thornhill, you know, that's another one where some of it's pretty heavy, like topic wise and, and the music can get a little bit slower and a little bit more downer. And but I'm not ne- I'm not against an album that mixes it up as you're talking about. Yeah, obviously, with some of the stuff it brought forward. But for me, this stays in one sonic space for 36 minutes and then the lyrics basically stay in a very similar space for 36 minutes. And just the combination of all that just made it kind of a slog to get through. Like I didn't, even though there are one or two parts where they do kind of the genty riffs and they mix up the beat a little bit, it goes right back into like a super clean verse or there's, there's just not a lot of dynamics here at all for me. So I found the thing that kind of drove the, I guess, breaking it up of, you know, where you do get some dynamics for me was where we got less band and more synth. At one point, they do what's called what I like to call the the synth pitter patter. And, you know, you do get a breaking up of his voice where he does do, I feel like a very clean vocal and then a raspy vocal and then a, a dirty vocal, an unclean vocal. And actually, I think his voice is best in the raspy vocal, which uh, he's got a bunch of covers that he's got on TikTok and I think on YouTube as well. And he does a lot of the raspy vocal covers and stuff. And I think it's great. Uh, And I think his voice is one of the better parts of this band. Um, I think he's got a voice that's uh, at the in the top, at least top, if not top 10, top five of the industry right now, like of this scene. hmm, That's not not the industry. Excuse me. This scene. This scene. Uh, 
You know, I think uh, as much heavy music as I consume, you're probably some of these bands you're probably more familiar with than I am. So I'll I'll defer to you on that. For me, I thought he was above average. I didn't think he was like on levels of Tyler Carter or Vessel or anything like that. I thought he was good, kind of like the guy from Bad Omens, like above average, but but not like breathtaking. Like I didn't hear him start singing and go, oh, my God, that's cool. It was just, oh, okay, he's a good singer. Um, See, I wouldn't even put Tyler Carter in this scene anymore because he's not really part of this anymore. But fair enough. So. I wouldn't put him on the same in the same conversation as Vessel, even though both of them played Blue Ridge, uh, and I saw them both at Blue Ridge, and yeah. uh, which actually one of the times at, I did see them at Blue Ridge. Actually, the only time I saw them at Blue Ridge, excuse me. They uh, I talked about this on a previous episode, but uh, their uh, background track overheated and their equipment overheated, and they lost power. And yeah. And I thought he did a really cool move. And this is, and I appreciate, just as we talked about on this wildlife, I appreciate it when you can tell the people that are the musicians are doing the music because they love the music and they're doing it for the fans. He came out after losing most of their set, he came out with acoustic guitar and did an acoustic set for, you know, like four or five songs just to still give something. So we weren't just sitting there twiddling thumbs. So I think it's important to note here that just like the last episode when we discussed Athenium, I had sort of some personal things that made me attached to that band and that record. And it sounds like to me because of, you know, listening to this album a lot with with the woman and seeing them live and seeing their personalities come through on stage. I think you have a little bit of a personal connection there. So for me, just taking at face value, kind of the way you were with Athenaeum, like I don't get any of those emotions. I don't get any of that. Like that was a problem I had with this wildlife too, is you, you say they're fun and you say they're like happy go lucky people. And the music is sad, sack, sad boy shit. And I'm like, I, okay. I believe you. I've seen some clips. They look like they're fun live, but like, just taken for the 35 minutes I have with this, these songs, you know, this wildlife, you know, I'm done picking on them. Uh, but with Dayseeker, it's just, it's so, it's so mid tempo and so detuned. And the lyrics are so depressing that I just feel like I'm getting beat over the head for 36 minutes. And it does. And, and I'm just waiting for the song where, you know, somebody else take them to the Matthews bridge and we bounce into like some sort of rap rock or something for a minute just to give it a breath of fresh air. The closest that it gets to is a, a song near the back half. And I'll, and I'll bring that up when we get there, but everything else just feels so like heavy. Like my, my, my neck hurts from like my shoulders being pushed down this entire duration. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm stuck on uh, take them to the Matthews bridge. <laughs> Just it just needed, like you said, some sort of levity, and there is none. Now, you said the deluxe edition has a couple more songs. Maybe they throw in something that has a little more of that vibe. But this, to me, is just a really okay. Bringing it back to new metal. So what this reminded me of never have a problem bringing things back to new metal. No, and I'm always going to do it. So never have trouble doing it. Part of my charm. So. One of the bands, like we were talking about, you know, Dayseeker gets lumped into some of those with some of those other bands, rightfully so or not. But it reminded me of Cold. Do you remember Cold? I remember Cold. 
Yeah. Didn't their they, singer die or something? No, no, he's still alive. They're actually still touring. Um, they've got kind of a weird lineup now with some old members and new members and Have whatever. They got warmer? Absolutely not. No, they're as cold as ever. Um, okay. And that's the thing is from everything I've seen, Scooter Ward, the lead singer of Cold, is a pretty, you know, chummy guy. He's friendly or whatever. But that is some depressing shit. And if you listen to the music, yeah, it has some touches of new metal, but it's really more like emo metal or something. I, it's hard to explain, but it's it's very dour. It's very depressing sounding. And that's kind of what I'm getting here. Like, even though Cold was on the same record label as uh, Limp Bizkit and Fred Durst signed him. Of course, on Fred Durst. Yeah, Fred Durst is a sad sack anyway. But they were always lumped with Limp Bizkit, Corn, Deftones, all that stuff, even though they weren't really. Their and that's imagery kind of gave that, though. The imagery gave it a little bit and they would throw in just a little hint of it here or there, like on the singles that kind of kept them in that category. And that's what I feel like Dayseeker is doing. Like it shares the same production and the occasional genty riff. So they get lumped into the same category as stuff like some of the bands we keep mentioning. But at the end of the day, they're not one of those bands. This is far more emo. This is far more sad boy stuff. And I think I'm 99% sure that this band probably got recommended to me through Spotify and YouTube algorithms. And I'm sure I heard a song or two and just never latched onto it because it is not quite the same thing. So I want to ask you a question then. Is it better to have a band that gets put into a scene where they only share certain flavors with, but they really offer a completely different sound? like Dayseeker and like Cold, where they are something that people are still able to listen to, but not hate and still get a taste of their stuff. Because Dayseeker will synth the hell out of things and they'll have, you know, their guitar riffs and their drums. And so they've got a lot of metal tropes in things, Mm -hmm. but the whole song isn't that. So wouldn't bands like Dayseeker be a welcome you know, induction into scenes because they're not the same as everything else, which I think that they are great within that because they do share those things. And I do like the, the synthy stuff. So it's to me, it was kind of a very happy marriage. 100% agree. Yeah. I think it is totally cool that a band can pick and choose certain aspects of a genre and bleed it into their own sound. The problem with this is, though, I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, it's simple as that. It's not a matter of uh, I don't think that they're like they're doing something wrong or they're they're you know, they shouldn't be categorized in the same conversation with these other bands. It's just for me, this flavor of it is not working. It's it's too sad. It's too depressing. It's too mid tempo. It, it like. Even with bands like Sleep Token that go on for seven, eight minutes long at a time and have these three, four minute long parts that are very sad sounding, very mid-tempo, it keeps it keeps changing and, and there's dynamic. Whereas, like I said, these guys, the way the song starts and the way the song ends very rarely changes for the duration of that three, four minutes. I'm going to disagree I, with you on that one. There's one or two songs that I think do play with that formula but overall like i said this 
I, I commend them on standing out a little bit for sure. Like I've said on previous episodes, the bands in these genres that I like are the ones that are a little left to center and do something a little less cookie cutter. But in this case, what that is for them, the flavor that they are adding is a flavor I do not like. So I would actually recommend listening to the album that came after this. I think it's called Dark Star. Um, I'm going to kick myself. Dark Sun. Sorry. Dark Sun. And I would recommend listening to it because it's it's what you're talking about where they are picking and choosing things. But it's almost like they took the parts they chose and just kind of tweaked them a bit and turned them up a bit and just kind of found where that was. And so... While I think that this was a great change for the band and I think for for this scene, because it is making people go, we can think differently. We can like things that are different. But then the next album, they went, we're going to do things a little bit different, a little bit better. We we kind of found our footing with the last album and now we we're walking. And so. Yeah. And we've talked about that on other records, too, where it's like we're discussing this one right here. But if you listen to other things in the catalog, you'll pick up on other things. And um, just like the the next record we're going to talk about, I have very similar thoughts on that. So I get that. And I'm and I will say that this isn't the kind of album that's like so bad for me that it like puts me off on listening to them ever again. It's not that. It's just that for as many times and, you know, another peek behind the curtain, we're recording this a little later than we usually do. So I've listened to this one a few more times than some of the other ones. And so I think it just weighed on me more because I did go through it so many times. How but many yeah, times this, did you listen to this one? God, probably, probably eight to 10 times. Okay. All right. I, and some of these, some of these, it's like, two, three times, especially the ones that I bring to the table. I usually listen to two or three times to refresh my memory and, yeah. and jot some notes down. But when it's one that you bring, especially like in this case, I've never even, you know, I was com almost completely unfamiliar. It was like, okay, I need to definitely listen to this. Right. You know, multiple times so I can articulate exactly what it's making me feel. Yeah. And even though I had listened to this album quite a few times before, now, and being only 36 minutes long, I mean, that's a, a drive, you know, a lot of places that's, you know, right. playing and then you kind of forget that you've put something on and you're just enjoying it and listening to it. And then it's over before you realize it. And then you go and put something else on, you know, it's 36 minutes is not long in a day to just kind of consume an album. And so I did go back and I listened to this album probably, I don't know five, six times all the way through with listening to certain tracks re uh, repetitively. But, you know, I wanted to consume it enough immediately within taking notes and being able to break it down as we're about to do. So let's yeah. jump into number one, Drunk. face tells me that you you didn't like this one well i think we've talked about this before you start with a track that really encapsulates what you're going to do for the album and by naming the song drunk i think you go ahead and get that up front just side note it's 130 bpms okay okay so when the song started i was like oh okay i get it i get it this is i, I see where we're going 
But then it doesn't go there. There is no big jinty riff. There is no breakdown. It stays mostly mellow for, for the most part. It's got a big like modern rock chorus, but I heard that modern pop production, the the heavy bass side, the twinkly, you know, like you said, the synth stuff. It just because of that mid tempo, it, it just I don't know. It was fine. I, I this this is a fine song, but it definitely wasn't like I didn't turn this on and go, okay, I like this album. It was like, oh boy, what are we in for? <laughs> okay. So the the song had two sections to me because it was at 121 where we got a break from that synthy open. It was just very synth and um, and vocal open. That's pretty much all we got. And and then we got a break and then it stayed big. With a little bit of up and down, but it, it stayed bigger up until right at the end. And I thought it was great because I think that, yes, you know, we have talked about how with an opening track, it has to be one that's going to set you up for what you're about to get. And I felt like this track did that. I felt like it very much very quickly said, Hey, we're not the same anymore. We're experimenting. We're doing different things. We're now brooding as shit. <laughs> and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they are, but they're not doing things the same. They're experimenting. They're bringing an unconventional flavor to the metalcore scene. And I felt like this song really kind of showed that he was going to be singing a bit different than he had in the past and then screaming a bit different. Yes. Monster. This is metalcore for the guys who bring their girlfriends to the shows that do not like metalcore. Like this is the band that like if you take if you take your girlfriend who does not like rock music or heavy music and it's Dayseeker and Thornhill, Bad Omens, like four or five bands like that. She will remember this one. She'll be like, I like those guys. They didn't scream so much. (laughs) So first off, why are you with somebody that you don't share musical taste with? Because then what are you going to listen to in the car? Oh, I mean, like Sarah and I, we we like a lot of the same stuff, but we also disagree on a lot of stuff. No, that's I mean, fine. You can disagree on a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, the lady likes country music. I don't I don't I hate country music. Ooh, let's do a country album. If you want to do a country album, we could do a country album. But I'm not going to say, yeah, sure. That's, that's great. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm sure whatever it is, it's probably upstairs <laughs> and so yeah not a country fan but she actually enjoys you know metal more these days but she actually brought day seeker to me in the beginning sure. so yes your your girlfriend that doesn't like the heavier stuff is going to remember day seeker more but and actually i think they did go on tour with with bad omens yeah they did okay yeah i think they were on their concrete jungle tour and uh which i saw them uh, on the same stage, back to back. I think it was actually Dayseeker, Memphis Bay Fire, and then Bad Omens. <laughs> so, good fun. So, all right. Let's jump on to number two, Crooked Soul. Okay. 
You gotta tell us the beats per minute on each song? I sure am. Okay, cool. All right. So I thought the guitar work and the melodies of this track stood out. And then the way he screamed, Crooked Soul. You know, it was like it was like a scream, raspy vocal thing. It was like a, a really cool vocal thing within that. And so that shows me that he's got a lot more control over his voice than a lot of other people. Let's put it that way. I like this one better than most of the songs on the record. Uh, it does start with a very genty kind of guitar riff. is so when they do like you said they have the extra synth stuff his vocal melodies kind of make them stand apart so when they do a song like this it just sounds like a song by tesseract or periphery like it doesn't really stand out like that guitar riff at the top is really cool but it sounds like a hundred other songs i've heard it's not until they get into the mellow verses where they mix it up and it gets back to the day seeker vibe Remember, I don't like that. So I'm like, I'm having a hard time here. Like, I like this song better because it does some things that I like. I, there is something about the way he says, take another drink, throw up in the sink that I. I genuinely enjoy. Like, it it kind of gets a smile out of my out of me for some reason. But yeah, it just I. I don't know. Like it's good. I like it better, but I'm I'm still not loving it. Yeah, I I thought this was a great synthy kind of intro into the introduction of like a like a quick intro of the Genty guitar riff you're talking about into mm-hmm. just pure heaviness. And then, you know, that's really more in the chorus. So, you know, I do feel like on some of these these songs they do kind of get away from a bit of the formulaic you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, breakdown, verse, chorus, or breakdown, chorus, chorus, uh, depending on who you're listening to, um, or verse, chorus, 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 breakdown, chorus, chorus. Anyway. <coughs> Sorry. Um, that's what you did. That's what you deserve for what you just pulled. <laughs> no, no. First chorus, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. What? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I loved crooked soul and i think it's because it's like the song just kind of existed and it was just a well-crafted thing i think the guitar work and melodies actually that i got that same note on a couple songs because i thought that that was a thing to be noted on multiple tracks but i thought that that's where this one really stood apart and then i felt like the chorus is where his voice really kind of becomes a controlled um, out of control roller coaster, if that makes sense. Okay. You know, and I really enjoyed the way that they actually constructed that entire one at three minutes and 55 seconds. And how many be- beats per minute? Uh, 128. Yeah, at three minutes and 55 seconds and 128 beats per minute. I'm in. I'm in. Okay. And also, um, you know, I identify with um, throwing up in the sink. So just saying. <laughs> who, who doesn't? I mean, who That's doesn't? Fair. That's fair. All right, so let's talk number three, Burial Plot. They mix 
up here. This one's only 92 beats per minute. Oh. <laughs> so what did you think about Burial Plot? This was the moment in the record where I realized I'm not listening to a metalcore band with modern pop production. I'm listening to an emo band with modern pop production and hints of metalcore. Yeah. Uh, this was the song that made me go, okay, I think I get it now. The first two songs were a little bit not disjointed, especially after you hear the whole album together. They make sense. But I was like, the first song was kind of a sad boy emo song. But the second song had that, you know, genty riff at the top. And then this song kicked on and I was like, ah, okay. So this is, this is more of an emo band and we're going to be singing about sad boy shit for a while. <laughs> yeah. This is a sad album. <laughs> yes. Very sad. Yeah. Very sad. So this is another one where the guitar work and the melodies just worked for me. I mean, it was just, I, I don't know the, the guitar on this album to me stood out all the way through and you being a guitar player, I'm a little surprised that you didn't, you didn't jump on that one. Yeah. You've only commented on the genty guitar riffs. You've commented on a lot of other things, but the Jinty guitar riffs and all, but I I love the guitar player of this band. There's two flavors of the guitar on this album. There's chunky, like metalcore riffs, and then there's clean, twinkly little guitar things. That's it. There's there's no solos other than one or two little spots, which I have a big pet peeve coming up about one of those. Okay. And they're good. Like I, I he's not a bad guitar player by any means but he's not doing anything that I haven't heard other guys do. Like there's nothing about his guitar playing that really stands out. The riffs are fairly stock and what he's doing in the verses are very just background ambience to match the synth. So the vocals can shine, which again, that's fine. That's, you know, cool, but it's unremarkable for me. He is a he's a great guitar player, but he doesn't stand out like a Steve Vai or um, name another guitar player that really shines above the others. Well, not even like in a virtuoso kind of way, because, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, because you do have bands like Polyphia and Periphery and, you know, you've got bands with guitar players that are just stupid talented like this guy's more traditional this guy plays some heavy riffs he plays some clean strummy stuff whereas can't compare guitar players like him to periphery because they're just a base exactly. of guitar players that are phenomenal so exactly so so that's where i start to struggle because if that's not your strong suit when you lean into it on songs like crooked soul then you sort of like, okay, well then I expect some more of that, but, but they don't really happen more than a, one or two more times. So again, I think it's what you said. It's a, it's a blending of all these different things. And it's like, we don't want to live in that space. We're just going to utilize that little, you know, seasoning to flavor this. So, but I say all that to say that I don't get a sense of who this guitar player is. It sounds like Fair. he's, he's just kind of playing what, the other guys in the scene are doing, he's picking, choosing the stuff that he likes out of it. Again, I, at the end of the day, that's my biggest problem with this album is not that any of the guys are bad. They're all super talented. It's unremarkable. Like the songwriting is the part that falls apart for me. Like the, yeah, like I, that's all I can say is that to me, the musicianship and the production is stout, but then the songs themselves don't have a lot of flourish. 
Okay, that's fine. I do want to get to this solo that you're going to pick an issue with. Yeah, so we'll, get, we'll get there. Let's let's move forward into number four, Sleep Talk. minute 130 beats per minute that adds to the synth pitter patter intro that i was talking about and if you don't know the pitter patter go back and listen to it you can so, hear it when i insert the sound clip here so again as a musician as someone who writes music performs music first four tracks 130 bpms 128 BPMs, 92, and then 130 BPMs. So we have four songs now where three of them are almost the exact same tempo. Now, again, maybe it's just the music brain in me, but I'm like, this all sounds the same. And even like I said before, at 92 BPMs, you're still 30, 60, 90, 120. So you're still like a divisible number. So it's like this all sounds the same to my brain. <laughs> so one of the issues that I have with the BPM in this type of music is you have times where the synth and the more electronic sound really kind of reigns supreme. And then you have where the drumming reigns supreme. And mm-hmm. I think the drumming throws that BPM off. And it so you get two, you know, two different beats within a song that, you know, one is by a computer and one is by a person and Mm -hmm. i i like it when bands blend those two things so i understand the beats per minute and i understand you're going to keep going on it that's fine but i i think that it does work where yes you do have the beats per minute that is uh either very similar or divisible all throughout this album but i think it changes when the drummer really kicks in now i know the drummer plays pretty much the entire time you know, once he starts, he do, he doesn't stop. There's a few times where he'll stop and they'll just kind of let that electronic sound go. But mm-hmm. I think that when the drumming comes in, that's when he kind of overtakes that sound. And I feel like when the, uh, the guitar, bass, and drums come in, they kind of overtake the electronic sound and it becomes the band. So to me, it's, you know, electronic sounds in the, you know, more vocal heavy but then they become a band at different points. And so that's where I feel like they've taken these two sounds that exist in the scene and have smashed them together in a way to where it's a band, a band that's not all band and a band's not all electronic. They are both of these things. So first four songs, three of them are almost the exact same tempo and three of them are about alcohol abuse. And one, the burial plot about something even worse. So, four songs in and I'm like the music all sounds the same. The lyrics are all depressing as shit. I'm not having a good time. Like, like that's, that's where I was the first couple times listening to this. Now, as time progresses and I listen to listen to it more and more, I could pick out the nuances and I could appreciate certain aspects of certain songs, but like, so, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes of this album, that's where I was now. My pet peeve, there is this short little guitar solo during Sleep Talk that is very pretty. 
it's not a solo because it's not just the guitar. And shut up. Let the singer singers shut up. Let the guitar player play a solo for 10 seconds. And I have the same issue with you on that as well. And I actually think it's a great little tone change. And I think it's a great little solo, but he sings on top of it, which I have always hated it, whether it's on an album or live. Yes. When a, uh, you know, you got a guitar player that's doing a solo and somebody sings on top of it, or you got a solo happening and the drums are also doing a solo at the same time. It's like, you don't give a person time to shine. Yes, Rory is a great vocalist. Like I said, he's in my top list. But shut up. Let yes. your guitar player have a moment. And and as a guitar player who has a couple of guitar solos out there on Spotify and stuff, there's one in particular that still drives me nuts from an album I recorded back in 2011. And we might cover that album at some point, so I won't get into super detail. But like the whole first four measures, the singer has to like carry his last note out and i'm like can you please stop just please stop let me have this <laughs> uh, yeah i don't i don't love that i really wish um i i don't know if it's a producer thing i don't know if it's an ego thing i really wish that they would let the guitar player have the moment because it's not a long moment this isn't like a 16 bar weedly 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 solo this is just no. a couple very lyrical kind of notes hmm I, I think the solo was uh, 15 seconds. Yeah, that but, sounds about right. Yeah. And, but he does, Rory does give the background vocals a chance to shine here because I do really enjoy where his vocals disappear, instruments drop out, and they sing Sleep Talk real softly before the chorus picks in. And so I think that, that does give a great kind of uh, juxtaposition, a great little transition from verse to chorus you know i i do enjoy that but i do really enjoy how his voice has a very different rhythm in this track you know it's it's like the drums are doing one thing and then his voice is doing something different and they don't fight against each other they do work with each other i felt like the the band was doing something quite different than his vocals were on this one especially since the guitar player had a solo that he didn't get to to finish right so and i also really enjoy how there's no real breakdown in this song there's you know i like it when not only a band is messing with how the things are done but they're also messing with the formula in itself and you know while there are breakdowns in this album this track doesn't have it which this track is the most stream track of this album at like 43 million streams so that makes sense. You know, this one is the most friendly to listen to for those that for sure. girlfriends that don't like heavy music. So exactly. Exactly. All right, let's talk track five, the embers glow. All right. Thoughts. 77 BPM. It's a minute and 22 seconds of horror movie score. Take it or leave it. It, it leads into track six, the color black. Black. 
other than that, it, it kind of reminded me of that section on the Bad Omens record where there was an intro that led into the song. And first couple times I listened to it, I just thought it had a stupid long intro. Yep. And then once I realized what it was, I would just skip it. So <laughs> that's I, where I'm here. I, I think that this one actually is an intro for the color black. Yeah. And if you listen to it, it actually kind of flows directly into it. And then the color black. The They're both 77 BPMs. Yeah, the color black starts with talking about the Amber's Glow. <laughs> You know, so that's where I think it's actually one long track, but they they needed a ten track album, and so they broke that up. They realized they could, you know, do it. And I do think that a, a little intro here is good because it does give the listener a break, you know, from from what's happened before. But at the same time, it acts as an intro for the color black. You know, give me a five minute and twenty five second song. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, it's a long song because that'd be a long ass intro, but I, I'm OK with it or shorten the intro. Give me a nine track album. Wasn't uh, Stain's um, Dysfunction a nine track album? Yeah. So nine track albums are not unheard of. It's fine. Nobody's going to, you know, if, you, if you're putting out a good album, nobody's going to get mad at you about it. So I don't know. But since that acts as an intro to number six, The Color Black. Let's talk about it. So I felt like the color black was actually like, since the embers glow was an intro to it, I felt like the embers glow had a moment within the color black. And so it was like, you kind of had about, I don't know, 15 to 20 seconds of a different song before we got into uh, this one that flows well. And it's got uh, groovy, heavy riffs in it like this one all right um this one it does have some cool you know heavy riffs the the vocals are a little more screamed this is definitely one of the heavier ones on the album it still kind of does some things that every other song on the album does with the synth and the clean guitars mixed in but it's not bad and i do like he does a couple times throughout this album I, i failed to mention this rory will do these little vocal melodies that sound very just kind of pop and generic, but then he'll add like a dissonant note at the end of it or something to just kind of give it a little bit of a off kilter vibe. And, and depending on what the lyric is, he's saying it can really be sort of like grab you. And I think the one here where he says, uh, I don't remember the whole line, but the surely you would have to cut your limbs. says that he does that little like tweak on the note and because he's saying you would have to cut your limbs it's like ooh this is a little menacing sounding i like that again i i I think he's singing about self-harm which is you know another shiny bright happy topic to talk about on this album he's a depressed guy man (laughs) yeah he's not a happy fellow so i know what you're talking about and i can't remember which track it is it's on uh i think sleep tokens newest album but there's one song where the bass goes like down a half note Mm -hmm. and it's almost like when it happens 
it makes your shoulders tighten. Like it makes you yeah. feel gross. And it's almost like his same, his, his changing of that kind of gives you the same, like ugh, feeling, you know, yeah. like you don't, you don't hate it, but you don't love it, but you can't miss it. Yeah. And, and that I think is one of the flourishes that I do like, like the, we keep saying, you know, day seeker is lumped into this category, but they're more adjacent to it because of this side or the other. That's one of the things that makes them stand apart, which I like and just, just Rory in general. Like I, I agree with you. I think that he's an above average singer, especially in this genre. So yeah, I, I like that one pretty good. Okay. So the color black is a standout for me on this one. And I think the color black stands out because of, I feel like I heard a lot more of that, that little change that he made, but then also <laughs> where it's almost like the, 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 uh, the chorus becomes just kind of guttural and yeah. especially the screaming of the color black. The color black. I really enjoyed it. just kind of made me feel it. So, all right. Let's talk about track seven, Already Numb. The slowdown of the album. Yeah, 113 beats per minute. I like this one a little bit because it's at least a little different because there is some acoustic guitar in here. It's a just and, depressing acoustic track. But at least it's it's still depressing and it's still mid-tempo. It's just, there's a different guitar tone. So at yeah. least it stands out a little bit. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Now, Already Numb to me sounds like the song that the guy who, like the guitar guy at parties but, yeah, like, but but he's like he's joined bands and he's got a career. And so this sounds like a song that is played at parties, like for friends around, you know, just like, hey, I've got an original. I'm going to do it. It's not a bad song. I like it, but it's it's a depressing acoustic track. And this yeah. one, this one doesn't stand out to me. It doesn't jump out to me, but I get why it's here. I actually think it's really well placed because it does give us a very different tone and song. A very different feel and different sound overall. Especially and, after following the heaviness of the color black. Sure, sure. And with as much complimenting as you and I have done for for Rory, most of the time I like his lyrics because they're very blunt. They're yeah. very like uh, you're not being poetic when you literally say "throw up in the sink." Yep. Like, so I actually like that. But there's a line in here. I didn't write the entire thing down, but it's if you reap what you sow, twist the knife in me slow. I'll bleed out on the floor like. If you reap what you sow, twist the knife in me slow. I'll bleed out on the floor. That is the most generic, stock, cliched emo lyrics I've ever heard. Like. How I mean, I, Taking Back Sunday, The Used, My Chemical Romance, every one of them has a song about twist the knife in me slow. I guarantee it. Well, I mean, at least it's you don't have to wonder what you got to do. I guess. Oh, as soon as I heard that line, I immediately thought about Taking, taking Back Sunday, about uh, if you stab me with my last dying breath, I'll apologize for bleeding on your shirt. It's too good, slip my throat. 
Yeah. Like, at least that's kind of clever. It's clunky and awkward, but it's unique. Yeah. This just feels, I don't know. Like, it, this one felt generic to me. Take It Back Sunday sings that happier. They sing everything happier. Yeah, that's true. No, so, all right. I don't have a lot to say about track seven. It's just yeah. me. It's exactly what I said. It's the party guy who's got a little more experience, showed up with the guitar and you know, he's got an original. It's a depressing acoustic track, but I yeah. think the, uh, the slowdown was welcome here at this point. I don't have much to say at all about track placement here uh, mm-hmm. overall in this album. And a big part of it actually has to do with where they placed the slowdown on this. Because I feel like seven is a great place for it. It's like a seven or eight, kind of depends on how many tracks you have. But in a 10 track album, seven's a great placement for it. Yeah, but because you had track five, you know, you do that weird little minute long right. album spacer thing that I just, we talked about that on a lot of these albums. Like, if you're going to do like a dividing track, it needs to make sense. And Bad Omens and this, they don't really make sense. They're just long intros yeah. to the next song. So there, there's an album I want to talk about later actually called Duality, where it splits, literally splits. And like, it makes sense to have something in the middle there, you know. But when you're just going from the same sonically sounding stuff to more of it, what's the point, you know? I get that. But yeah, yeah. but anyway, already numb, meh. So, all right, let's just jump into number eight, Gates of Ivory. So now, 127 beats per minute. So right, now we're... So what was seven? Seven was 113, which is... So that little section there where you go five, six, seven, all sort of you got 77 BPM for Ember's Glow and the color black. And then already numb is 113. But Gates of Ivory now is 127, which, you know, for any of our listeners that, you know, think I'm being a dumbass. You're right. I am. I'm, I'm definitely, uh, as the British say, taking the piss. But I never thought that you were anything other. <laughs> but. When you actually get into the difference between 127 and 143, there's the average here, there's very little difference though. Because when you add a per minute, it's a very like nuanced amount. You don't really start to feel it until, okay, 127 to 140 is a bit of a stretch, but between like 130 and 140, it's not going to feel a whole lot different yeah. to your. Yeah. So, so even though like the first couple, you've got 130, 128, 130, when you're down here at 127, and even in the last couple songs, I'll go ahead and spoiler alert, are 140 and 148, you're still not that far away from, from where you've been this entire album. So even though the BPMs go up a little on the last couple songs, they're not so far away from that 127, 130 to really feel like they're they're driving in any other way. Yeah. But back to back to the song at hand, track eight, Gates of Ivory. It's it's heavy. It's heavy it's- without sacrificing his voice in the chorus. You know, his voice really does shine the chorus. And within the heaviness, we do get a 
bouncy drum good intro And then the guitar riff is just as bouncy as that intro was. So that intro, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, it has like that double kick China sort of like, it reminded me of like 2004 MySpace core bands. Like once the riff kicks in, it sounded more modern. But when it first started, I was like, is this is this the take you take me to the Matthews bridge part? Like, is this the part where the album does the fun thing and shifts it up a little bit? Not really. It just eventually kind of gets into a heavier Dayseeker song. Yep. Yep. And uh, I felt like after that slowdown, this one kind of brought the energy back in a good way where we do get a bouncier song. And, you know, it is a fun little drum intro, you know, and we do get a heavy song, like I said before, heavy song without sacrificing his voice, especially in the chorus, his voice soars and it's great. Yeah. So I think that this was a great placement after the last one. Now, let's talk about number nine, Starving to be Empty. How many beats per minute? 140. All right, 140. And how many was uh, number eight? 127. All right. So I can hear the difference for sure between the two beats per minute. When you, so, so again, when you have them back to back like that, you, you know, especially when it's over 10, if it's over 10 BPMs, you can feel it. But this one just sounds different in general. Yes. Like to be fully transparent, this is probably my favorite song on the album. This this track did bring a new dynamic to the album. And I think that if they had put more of this in other places, they could have really changed things up, really mixed things up a bit. Now, this one does have a singer on it. Seneca Petit, I think is how you pronounce her name. I don't feel like she adds a lot to this album, to this track. Oh, oh, I disagree. I think I think as good as Rory is and as diverse as his vocal delivery has been, because there is so much like, OK, I'm getting ready to get into more obnoxious musician speak. Right, go but for it. Most of the songs are also in the same key, which is common because you play in a key that your vocalist is comfortable in. Uh, this one is similar, but because you have this you know, diverse sounding vocal now mixed in with Rory's a female vocal. It adds a little bit of fresh air to the vocal delivery that we've heard for eight songs prior. she adds a lot i don't think she's the best female vocalist i've ever heard but i just no, think I, ha- I, I i agree with that for sure but i think she is very talented and i think having her there makes this a much better song like if it was just him singing i would not have liked it as much if we had more of her on this one because we don't get her vocals until uh, i think it was a minute and 34 seconds i don't i didn't take it yeah. down but i did pay attention to it I think yeah, I think more of her first, and then she sings the second verse, and yeah. then they sing together for the rest of the song. So far, 
and I don't like it when when you know you've got a duet that does that. You know, you've got two people on a track, unless it's like a you know each person has a very distinct part. I I think you are trying to recall the 1999 classic All in the Family with Fred Durst and Jonathan Davis battle rapping, correct? Suck my dick, kid, like your daddy did. Who the fuck you think you're talking to? I'm known for eating little whiny chumps like you. Whatever. All up in my face with that. I wasn't, actually. <laughs> I, I wasn't. Um, because I've never wanted to recall that ever. <laughs> No, no, neither do they. There's a lot of problematic language in that song. But the other thing I like about this song is the guitar actually does something different now. You have this, I, the only way I can describe it is almost like John Mayer-esque, like, like little lines during the verses in between the vocals. And this one just feels like a completely different, different band in a lot of ways i like this one a lot i think this one really stands out amongst everything else i feel like this one does stand out on this album and i feel like it does stand out because it is so different from everything else but i feel like if they brought more of this flavor to other songs then this probably would have ended up in a higher score overall i don't think this is a bad album at all i've said in the beginning i've said several times through it i'm going to gush on this album and i love this album but i do love that 80s synth intro, just pure synth. And then into a very different guitar tone overall. Which I wish they had put that guitar tone in more places. I, I figured out who it kind of reminds me of. It reminds me a little bit of Emerosa and the thing I liked about Emerosa, which is a very different sounding band. Which Emerosa? Because uh, there's there's like four different Emerosas. The more recent one, the more recent one where they do a little bit more of that 80s synthy kind of vibe. Oh, that, um, the new Emerosa album is all 80s synth. Yeah, yeah. All 80s. Not the brand new one, but the one before it that yeah. almost has like a little bit of like uh, Jonas Club, Brothers. Yes. Yeah, it's like Jonas Brothers meets Metalcore. like that sort of mix that's a great and this, album. yeah and to me this has a little bit of that sound to it it's not quite as dancey and poppy as some of that is but it has the tonality of it is a lot lighter and brighter than most of this album which i appreciate for sure yeah so all right let's round out the album number 10 crash and burn the is 148 bpm okay i was going to ask you what was the bpm on it so thank you for coming in with that information uh yeah. faster than i could get the words out all right this was a great bookend for me this is a great closer and i'll tell you why because this takes what we had heard except for number nine this takes what we heard before it gives a slow uncomfortable build into heaviness and we kind of finish out there. We got a little bit of a dip towards the end. 
the it's like this this song has like three breakdowns in it and i just thought this was great i mean this is one of the heaviest things after you know after the build this is one of the heaviest things day seekers ever done mm-hmm. and i thought it was a great bookend because we definitely got a flavor of everything we just heard and we end on what i felt like a high note so the first time i listened to it i was like oh Oh, so we're going to end with an elevation style praise and worship song. Interesting. Not what I was anticipating, but okay. And then it actually, I don't want to say it reminded me of sleep token, but it had a little bit of that build and build and change and breakdown and rebuild kind of going on, but in a, in a much shorter uh, amount of time, I, I don't hate it, but to me, because of, the production because of the vocal melodies because of everything else it didn't stand out to me it just sounded like a whole lot more of the same i agree the breakdowns at the end where it gets really heavy and kind of i don't want to say falls apart because i don't i i mean that in a good way you know um it's like it strategically fell apart yes like yes a controlled demolition Yes, I I don't mind all that. And I think that to your point, with such a heavy record, not necessarily musically, but lyrically and just low end production wise, I think ending by just smashing everything to the ground is kind of a cool way to do it. I just didn't love the two minutes of praise and worship before it got there, I guess. I don't know. I, I get the impression that this was supposed was to be like, Two minutes of it. I, I didn't actually, I didn't actually take note of how long that break, that buildup was. It is a four minute eight second song, so it may have been two minutes of it. You know, that's maybe not quite possible. that long. But, but to me, it didn't feel like where when I listen to you know a, a band like Sleep Token that does you know long songs with lots of little buildups and stuff. I'm kind of anticipating the change. Where for me, like once I knew it was coming. I just sort of was like, oh, yeah, this is the song that starts really slow and then gets really heavy at the end. Like it didn't. I I don't know. Like it's not a bad song by any means. And I do like that they end with the concophony of just brutalness that it does. But I just as a as a song, I just was kind of meh like the rest of the album. I am going to work brutal cacophony into things more often because I, I, I think it's thank you for giving permission on using words so yeah all right that is the album let's go ahead and do closing statements so why don't you go first okay i'm really struggling with my number here okay i had had a number and then i changed it now i think i'm changing back i don't want to be disrespectful not i mean honest okay be honest i mean because we've given quite a few albums very differing numbers at times and you know it is what it is I'm trying to think back of what I gave some other albums that I was harsh on, but okay. All right. All right. All right. right, Okay. This is one of those albums where you can tell everybody in the band is proficient at their instruments and the production is on point. The vocalist has an above average tone and range, but for me, the songwriting is subpar. Very little stands out. And because of the consistent BPMs across the majority of the songs, it all just starts to run together. 
I don't find anything about this album particularly interesting or catchy or memorable. The lyrics are depressing. The music is generic at best, forgettable more often than not. And clocking in at only 10 songs in 36 minutes, it still felt too long. Even when we cover an album I don't like, I tend to find a song or two that I can honestly say I enjoyed from start to finish and we and will revisit. There's really not much of that on this one. I think I would rather spend my day seeking another band to listen to. Oh, that hurt. I had to give a, a dangerism in there. Fine. One to ten. Don't hate me. I'm gonna go three. Woo! Three. Yeah. Sorry. I'm Damn. sorry. Damn, a three. That, okay, now here. Now I, let I, me. I, I think no. Um, you gave Gym Class Heroes a three. Um, okay. And then now you, gave, what, you gave Half Moon Run uh, a two point five. So that's your lowest. That Gym Class Heroes was what was on my mind when I was trying to rank this because here's the thing, I did not like that album. Yep. I but did. you put on a song by them right now, I could tolerate it better than something off of this because at least with that it's upbeat enough it's usually light-hearted enough that even some of their more emo-y kind of stuff it's kind of like okay i can at least nod my head to this but this is so dour and depressing and it kind of beats you over the head with it for its runtime that like i don't want to listen to this again anytime soon and to be honest with you other than one or two songs I don't know that it's really going to stick with me two weeks from now, you know, where I still think about one or two of those songs off that gym class heroes album, because for better or for worse, they, uh, they just stuck with you a little bit. My score is going to be very different than your <laughs> score. And, I'm sure. It'll be. And I would listen to this album over gym class heroes any day at this point in my life. So Emotion is the word, and at times to the point of nausea on this album. Emotion is basically all bands want to deliver and want us to feel. Dayseeker does that better here than most other bands. Sleep Talk shows us that this band has taken a big step forward in their sound, and they know it. They've never been one to hide from their softer side, but they almost use it as a sentence in the heavy parts of the album as punctuation with a punch. And it works. This is a great album from beginning to end. At 10 tracks, it moves quickly and never drags. The metalcore tropes are still there here, are still here. Drums pound, guitars are loud, and breakdowns are plenty on this record. But this is turned down strategically in an 80s-style synth pop breathes. I just want a song that isn't of such heavy emotion. And I gave this album an 8.5. So, so wild. So for those of you that aren't seeing us, because we're the only ones that are, I when I said the line, this is a great album, I wasn't looking at the screen, but I felt deep in my loins the eye roll from Monster because I, I think this is a great album. I literally saw my brain like yep. my eyes went all the way back. It was it was terrifying. All right. So Dayseeker Sleep Talk, you gave it a three. I gave it an 8.5, which actually gives it an average of 5.75, which puts it right below Caroline's Fine at six and ties it with Memphis May Fire conditional at 5.75 it, it actually I, puts it above Athenaeum's radiance at 5.5 fair enough i would be curious to know if that is the biggest gap between my score and your score um i, I feel like so I yeah think so 
Yeah. Which is fine. It's fine. No, uh, we. I don't think we've had that big of a division uh, between us. So, you know, is what it is. Well, we'll see. We've got plenty more albums to discuss. Yes, we do. <laughs> it could get crazier. So, if you have a suggestion of an album that you would like to hear us talk about, or you have an opinion about our opinions, send us an email at dangerandsarge at gmail.com or reach out to us at uh, Facebook X or Instagram Danger and Sarge or shoot us a message on the Breakdowns for Breakfast Facebook page. So, Monster, what album are we talking about next week? Speaking of getting crazier, we will be discussing I Wrestled a Bear Once. I Wrestled a Bear Once's album from August 6, 2013, Late for Nothing. Okay. I don't know how you pluralize I Wrestled a Bear Once. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fine. I don't know how you... Apostrophe S. That's how you do it. And so... I just want to say, even when you and I disagree, I feel muffin but love for you. Bye, everybody. Later.